following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. World War II, 1945, right towards the end of the war, one of the most daring, courageous rescue missions was ever attempted. There was an allied base in Papua New Guinea, and it had both American and Filipino soldiers there. And it was a slow afternoon. There was one of the soldiers was having a birthday, so they decided to take a scenic trip on one of their airplanes to circle around the island, and they were going to fly over this one valley that was particularly fascinating because it's surrounded by jungle, surrounded by hundreds of miles of wilderness, surrounded by mountains, but there are villages there in the valley, and these villages are pretty much untouched from the outside world. And so it's fascinating to just fly over and see these villages, and so they were going to fly around, just kind of get that scenic tour to celebrate one of the people on the plane's birthdays, a little over 20 people on that plane, and tragically... They don't know what happened, they don't know if it was cloud cover or what, but tragically, as they're circling the island near that valley, the plane crashed into the side of a mountain. The plane burst into flames, and only three of the passengers, three soldiers, exited the plane safely, and and only three survived. Here's a picture of them, of those three um, survivors Um, And that woman in the middle went on to be somewhat famous. Her name is Margaret Hastings. And the media caught wind of this story. It was fascinating because they were pretty much trapped in the jungle. So I want you to imagine there was not enough uh, space in the valley to land a plane and pick them up. It was not near a water source, so they couldn't send a boat in. Helicopters were still in development. They couldn't just send a helicopter to drop in and pick them up. So they had to come up with how do we creatively get them out of the jungle without sending them dangerously through hundreds of miles of wilderness. How are we going to get them out of this jungle? Well, in the meantime, these three are suffering starvation. They're disoriented. They've been through the trauma. They've got injuries. And so heroically, they flew over planes and paratroopers jumped out to join them in the jungle. They brought supplies, they brought medical attention. I want you to imagine this. They heroically joined them before they knew how they were going to be extracted. Incredible. They make their way down to this valley. They start engaging these natives. They didn't know if they were gonna be friendly or not. Turns out they were friendly and they were able to kind of engage them, learn about them, and wait for how they were going to extract them out of these jungles. And here's the plan they eventually came up with. They were going to get a glider, which is, looks, it looked like a plane. It was the size of a plane. It was covered probably with like balsa wood and fabric. So it was very lightweight. Had no engine, no rudder, nothing like that. But they would have, would have a pilot in it, and they would tow the glider behind an airplane, release it, and then that pilot had to navigate the glider safely to the ground. Then they would all get on board the glider. This was the plan. Get on board the glider. They would stretch out a 300-foot nylon rope that was to act like a rubber band. They'd have a big loop, and a plane would circle back down, swoop down low enough to hook that loop, 
and slingshot the glider out of the valley. That was their plan. Unbelievably, it worked. Even more unbelievably for us, there was such a media storm about this rescue that there was a journalist that so badly wanted to get the story that he decided to go up on a plane and parachute in also so he could document the story. According to legend, he was so terrified, the only type of courage he could muster up was to utilize liquid courage. Drank, literally drank himself into a stupor. They pushed him out of the plane. He practically land, he landed on his back on the ground. And when he regained consciousness, he started filming everything. So we have a, a footage of before they got on the glider, they did a trial run. And they showed what it was going to look like when the glider got picked up. Check out this video. It's actual historic footage of the rescue. Tow rope is coupled on. They're ready. Everyone is strapped in. They take a deep breath and hang on. Here comes the tow plane. Low and fast. Lower and lower. Now, full power. Bang. They're on. They're hooked. There they go. So that's what it looked like. What's known as possibly, definitely the most daring rescue um, of, the, of that era, maybe the most daring of all World War II, and maybe one of the most notable in history, an incredible rescue mission, and it actually worked. But here's the thing I want you to think about. One of the most unbelievable parts are the paratroopers that went in and joined these three people in need before they ever even knew how they'd get back out. Here these people are, they're stranded in the jungle, wounded, Broken, starving, not knowing what is the right direction to go, directionless. And these people, to their own potential danger, parachuted in and joined them in the midst of the jungle, guided them to safety, and they were all rescued. Incredible courage. I know I can't help but hear a story like that and wonder, man, if it came down to it and I was asked, to go on a rescue mission, jump into the, into the jungle like that, would I have the courage to do something like that? That's what I, I sometimes wonder. Would I have the guts? Would I have the inner fortitude to jump in in order to rescue someone? Because it, it's largely a matter of courage. Through this series, what we're talking about is an actual rescue mission that we're called to. It's not a metaphorical rescue mission. There's actually lives at stake. And what we're being challenged with is to take a courageous step and jump down into the midst of the need to rescue. And the question we're left with is simply, do we have the courage to jump in? I want you to open your Bible to Zechariah chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8 or chapter 7 and 8, Zechariah chapter uh, 7, open there if you have a Bible or Bible app. Um, it's also going to be up here on the screens. And let me set the context for this part of the scripture. This takes place about 500 years before the time of Jesus, about 500 years after the time of like King David and Solomon. 
And what's just happened about a generation before or two, 70 years earlier, the Babylonians, the superpower, came through the region, decimated the kingdom of Judah, sacked the city of Jerusalem, knocked down its walls, knocked down their homes, destroyed the temple, and dragged all the inhabitants of Jerusalem back to Babylon. They were in exile. They lived in Babylon for 70 years, the Persians rose to power, and the Persians let them return back to their home of Jerusalem. So these future generations came back, they found their cities in ruins, and this book here, Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, also another book right next to it, Haggai, these two prophets, Zechariah and Haggai, are stirring up God's people to not just rebuild the city, but specifically rebuild the temple, which is where the presence of God is in the city. They're being stirred up to do that. Now in chapter 7, we talked about this a little bit last week, in chapter 7, here's what's going on. The people for 70 years, they've been without a temple. They've not even lived in Jerusalem. So there's all these feasts, all these these ceremonies, all these sacrifices, they haven't been able to do. And so what they've done instead is they've set aside a couple different periods of the year. Um, One of the most notable was during the fifth month of the year, which is the month that the temple was destroyed. They fast for that month, the fifth month, mourning that the temple has been destroyed. So now the temple's being rebuilt, like there's the foundation, they're starting to build it up, there's bricks being laid, and so they come to Zechariah saying, hey, can you tell us, does God want us to keep fasting on the fifth month of the year because the temple's being rebuilt, like what do we do? It's a fair question. But the response is so profound from God, it's not just like this nitty-gritty instruction about a ceremony. It is absolutely, utterly profound how God responds to them. Check this out. This is Zechariah 7. We're going to jump down to verse 4. Look at what it says. When the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh For these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, when her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? So they come with a question, hey, should we keep fasting? Now the temple's being rebuilt, and God responds with a question. He says, hey, tell me this. When you fasted, was it ever really for me anyway? And God is exposing something about religion that is utterly profound. Religious ceremonies, religious services, religious practices. What the Bible teaches is those moments of worship are supposed to be offerings. They're supposed to be, I'm offering my prayers. I'm offering my time. I'm offering my praise. I'm offering it because, God, you are worthy of praise, so I'm offering it to you. And here's what God says. He says, you were doing all of that just for yourself. Was it ever really worship? And here's what he exposes, a a profound idea. 
religious ceremonies and activities, that can be done purely selfishly for our own sake and not actually as an offering of worship to God at all. Let me give you an example. Um, When we come together to sing, the idea when we sing together at church, the idea of singing is offering that to God. Like we sing to offer that, God, you're worthy of us praising you, so we're going to sing for you. And yes, there's, there's a benefit we get out. We enjoy that when we're offering it to God. But the priority is to offer it to God. It's not what we get out of it, but we can very easily turn it into what I get out of it. We can sing because we enjoy the sound of our own voice. Or maybe some of you enjoy the sound of your own voice. And we can sing because, oh, I like this song. Or, oh, yeah, this is a good one. Or, you know what? This hits me right where I'm at today. So, yes, I, I want to sing. But sometimes what can so happen, often happen with music, because we all have our own music preferences, what can so often happen when it comes to music, when we come together to sing, is we can stand back and say, okay, I'll sing, but when you play a song I like. Or, you know what? I'll, I'll sing, you know, I, actually, I'll sing because I like to sing. But if I don't like to sing, I'm not going to sing. If I, I don't feel up to it, I'm not going to sing. Or you know what? I'll, if you could just turn the volume up a little bit, then I'll sing. Or if you could just turn it down a little bit, then I would, I would sing. Or you know what? I like this generation of music um, that, that I sang when I was a kid. Or you know what? I like this very modern, like cutting edge. Have you heard this new song? I wish we could sing that. I'll sing. When, when you align the music with my preferences, then I'll sing. But here's the question. If that's when you sing, are you really worshiping at that point? That's the question God's asking. He's saying religious ceremony can happen, and it's not actually worship because you're just doing it for yourself. You're not offering something to God. The same can be true of a Bible study, whether it's coming on Sunday morning and hearing a sermon, or whether it's going to a small group, or going to student ministry on Wednesday nights, or going to young adult ministry on Monday nights. It can be, it can be a Bible study where you say, okay, you know what, I, I'm, I have some things I want to get out of this. What am I getting out of this? You know what, I didn't really like the topic today, that didn't really apply to me, or that wasn't the way I like it, or I, don't, I wish that they would t- do more like this or like this. We can align these ceremonies and these religious activities to our preferences, but then is it even really worship? Because what we're supposed to do is come open-handed and say, God, I'm here for you. I'm giving you this time. It's an offering to you. So show me what you want me to hear. It's a position of surrender to someone worthy of our worship. Here's what God is saying. You can do religious activity for yourself, and it might not even be worship. And here's the example he gives he tells them that they were doing that with the particular religious ceremony of fasting. I don't know if you've ever tried fasting before. Well, fasting is where you set aside typically food for a meal or a day. It can be extended longer than that. Sometimes you fast other things. Maybe it's a, a habit that's you know completely fine, but you set it aside, and the purpose is for focused prayer. You're saying, I'm setting this aside because I have this posture of prayer, something so urgent, I want to dedicate my time focusing on prayer. If you've never tried fasting before, you should. If you have tried fasting before, you know that you go to war with your body. You're like, I know, I'm going to fast sugar. And your body says, time out, I did not sign up for this. 
and about 7.30 when you have your daily bowl of ice cream, your body's like, I'm not, I'm not fasting. You might be fasting, I am not fasting, and you find your feet taking you over to the freezer and you can't stop it, okay? You go to war with your body. And so here's the thing, I think, man, if there's anything that has to be purely selfless, like if there's any religious activity that you'd have to say, okay, well, clearly you're not doing that for your own sake. It would have to be fasting, right? You're denying your body something. But here's what God says, your fast, he calls them out, your fasts were for yourself. Why would I fast for my own sake? Well, a couple of reasons. The first, maybe the most obvious is, well, I like to pat myself on the back. Look how holy I am. I, I pray and fast. I am super godly. That might be the first reason. Maybe another reason is for control. Well, I'm praying, and if I add fasting to it, it's like a hunger strike. God has to answer my prayer. So I'm going to fast. We'll see, God. You're going to answer this prayer because I'm fasting. It's for control. Or maybe we're wanting to go through the discomfort of fasting because there's another act of obedience that's uncomfortable that he's calling us to, and we're avoiding that and saving face by doing another uncomfortable form of worship that we'd prefer. We'd rather fast than square up to the fact of, well, I'm asking you to do this. And that actually ends up being what the problem is here. Let's look at what he says next in Zechariah 7 verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your tent, in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts uh, had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger come, came from the Lord of hosts. Here's what he says. You're, you can, you're fasting, but here's what I actually had asked you to do. He says, this is what the former prophets, the former generations, this is what I had asked them to do. Pursue justice. He says, I asked them to have kindness. And he gives a group of four of categories of four different types of people. He said, I asked for justice for the widow. In modern day terms, that might be the, the elderly or a single mom. He said, the, the widow. He said, the fatherless. Modern day, that's the orphan. Or maybe the temporary orphan who's pulled out of their homes. He says, or the sojourner. That's someone who's, who's living in a land that they're not originally from. That's the immigrant. He says, or the poor. He says, I've given, this is what I have always wanted. He says, that's what the former generations were told. That's why they ended up in this mess. I've just asked them to work justice for the poor. That's what I want. That's what, in other words, he's saying, that's what you were avoiding and you're focusing on your ceremonial activities. I want you to love the vulnerable, to seek justice. That's what I've always wanted. 
God says. And then I want to read one more section here. Let's go into to chapter 8, starting in verse 1. I want you to see what he says here, because he's now going to say, he's now going to cast vision for them. Here's what happens if things are looking the way they should be. And I want you to see the vision that he casts for them, because it's powerful. Chapter 8, verse 1. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the, what does it say right there? The faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, watch this. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it is, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. He casts vision, and I want you to see what he says. He says, I will again dwell in their midst. I'm going to be in your midst. I'm going to be with you. And then he casts vision. When I am with my people, this is what it looks like. And I want you to note what he describes. Does he describe the religious ceremonies? Man, when I'm dwelling in your midst, you won't believe the worship services that you guys, are, you guys will have. He says, when I'm dwelling in your midst, you won't believe what it's like when you come to the temple and, work those, and make those sacrifices. You won't believe the singing. You won't believe the study of the scriptures. You won't believe what's happening in those religious ceremonies. No, that's not the vision that he cast. He says, when I'm dwelling in your midst, look what happens in your city. When I am dwelling among my people, and he uses two ways of describing his city, paints two pictures. He says, the elderly will sit in peace in the streets, and children will play in the streets. Typically in a city, the two of the most vulnerable populations in any city are the elderly and the children. When I am dwelling in your midst, when there's a faithful city, the vulnerable will be taken care of. Now you might be saying, well, okay, I hear you. I kind of know where you're going here. I imagine you're going to give us a call to, to help out the, the, the needy in our city. I got you. But aren't we supposed to just kind of, I mean, we're a church. I mean, there's other people that can take care of the poor and the vulnerable, right? I mean, there's nonprofit agencies, I mean, the government locally and nationally has programs. I mean, other people can do that. I mean, we're the church. Aren't we just supposed to focus on spiritual stuff? I mean, here we talk about singing and reading the Bible and, and praying. I mean, that's, I come, maybe you say, I come here for the spiritual stuff, but don't bother me with the city. But here's what this says. Caring for the poor is the spiritual stuff. That is what we're supposed to be doing. 
We're supposed to be an army going out and caring for the poor. In fact, what God says is, he says, look, I don't want the type of worship. He says, I, I do want all those things. I want singing and praying and studying the scripture. I want all of those things. I want that. But you can tell if it's real or not in a community if they are loving the vulnerable in their city. You say, well, maybe just Zechariah kind of got worked up. You know, I mean, maybe that's just them. I mean, isn't that maybe, that, I mean, are we really supposed to do that? Let me, let me tell you, this is from cover to cover. Can I share with you what it says in Amos, what God said to that former generation? You was talking about the former generation heard this message. This is what they heard, and it's pretty scorching. Can I read this to you in, in Amos chapter 5? This is what it says. This is from God. I hate, I despise your feasts. You imagine hearing that from God? And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you hear that? He says, I'm not interested in hearing the songs you're playing with your guitars. If there's no justice, like the work I've called you to is the work of justice. We talked about this. Pastor Justin taught us this last week. He taught us the, the strongest words in the scripture are not for people who don't believe in God. They're for people who believe in God and have a dead religion and don't express love to others. Let me give you an example of that. This is in Luke chapter 11. Verse 42, this is Jesus talking. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. He says, woe to you if your religion is dead because you don't have any love to express. Very simply, in James, maybe you've heard this verse before, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit who? What does it say? Orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Why is this what true religion looks like? Because the core of what we believe is that you and I were lost in the jungle wilderness of our sin, our mistakes. We're limping from the injuries we've sustained from the, our own mistakes in our life. And there's no way out of that jungle. We're facing an eternity away from God because of our sin. But God didn't just fly over, overhead and shout down instructions. Jesus parachuted in. And he didn't just do it to risk his life to help all of us escape. He went in knowing he would die so that we could live. He jumped into our mess. He jumped into our danger. We made it out alive, and he died in our place. He died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose again from the dead. But specifically, he not only rescued you, but do you know what he did, Christian? 
He said, if you're following after me, he said, take up your own cross and follow after me. He says, if you're gonna, if you're gonna carry my name, he says, then carry my mission. He's not just rescued you to go back up and back to base and sing about your rescue. He's not just rescued you to go back to base and say, let's do a diagnostic test of what happened in that rescue. He rescued you to get in the plane and drop down and rescue others. We say it like this, you've been rescued to rescue. And here's where we're at, church, in this season of our city. There's a rescue mission, and we've just got to simply decide whether we have the courage to jump in or not. There's a crisis right now in South Florida. As it stands at the end of March, there were 30, over 3,100 children in Dayton, Broward County that had been removed out of their homes because they were uh, unsafe for them to stay there. And those children are in foster homes, they're in group homes, or they're in shelters. What that means is one night, a child looked out their window and saw flashing red and blue lights out in front of their home. And even though they had done nothing wrong, a kind police officer walked in trying to assure them that everything was going to be okay. But he hands them a pillowcase and asks them to put some of their belongings in it. Like some clothes, maybe a teddy bear, maybe a picture. And they get in the back of a squad car, and even though they're being removed from danger, they're leaving the only thing they've ever known. And they're taken to a shelter until a foster home can open up and take them in. Often they're separated from their siblings because there's no foster homes that are open and willing to take in an entire sibling group, which is a huge need in South Florida. Oftentimes, they're a teenager, and so they'll never end up in a home. They'll end up in either uh, a group home or a shelter because people don't have the courage to take in a teenager. And we're talking with four kids of South Florida, our partner in foster care, one of the premier agencies, not just in Florida, but recognized nationally. And what they've told us is if we could just over the next three years if the churches of South Florida could just give 225 homes, the, the crisis could be averted, and the children that are being removed from their homes in their chief moment of crisis could come into a home that has the love of God, and these children, as they're temporarily orphaned, could hear the gospel and experience the love of God. but it just takes courage to jump in. And so we're faced, church, with this passage, and it leaves us the question, are we as a church going to step in and respond, or are we going to harden our hearts diamond hard with rationalization? Are we going to plug our ears and say, I just don't like hearing about things like this. I don't want to know. Or are we just going to turn our shoulder, or are we going to say, I have been rescued, and I am going to step in and rescue? So let me just give you the punchline of where we're going to end up this morning. Can everyone go ahead and pull out your bulletin? Go ahead and grab this for me, please. And I want you just to, to go ahead, and I want to hear everyone just 
ripping off that Get Connected card. Can you just pull that Connected card off and hold that for a second? Here's what we're asking you to do today. Two opportunities. You're signing up for more information about. And you would just write this where it says prayer request. You would just write your information and you'd write this on this card. You would say, one, I want more information about being a foster parent. It doesn't matter what season of life. We've, got, we've had foster parents that are... Um, have their kids out of their house, their grandparents. We have, we have foster parents that are a couple even before they start having kids of their own. We've had foster parents that have small ki- children of their own. But you say, look, I'm not signing up. There's no way you could make that decision today. You don't have enough prayer time or, or maybe you have been praying to this moment. But most of us, you would just be signing up for more information. That's it. Just say foster parent. Or you can write another thing on there. You'd write FAM, capital F-A-M. That's the Family Advocacy ministry, what FAM is, is that those are the homes that rise up and say, while we might not be able to take in a foster child in this season, we're going to support those foster families. And as foster families are rising up in our church, we are going to have six to eight families that are assigned to them to provide food, support, tutoring, transportation, odd jobs around the house, whatever it takes to wrap around them as a community. And so if you can't take a child in, maybe you can sign up to support. And so if you want more information about that, you would write FAM on this card. Because here's what we've said. Okay, if all the churches of South Florida need to provide 225 foster families, what we have decided as a church is over the next three years, we are going to take at least a tenth of that. 25 foster families we want to rise up out of, our, out of our church in the next three years, which means we need 150 families to sign up and say, we're going to support those 25. But I want you to hear the vision and the experience of what it is to get involved with foster care, and I want you to hear it from some of your brothers and sisters, just people here at West Pines. I want you to check out this video. So as a, as a first responder, I work, I work as a firefighter paramedic, and... Um, you know, we're called at a moment's notice to uh, rescue people, whether it's a medical call or in some type of fire um, or car accident. When the tones go off, um, we respond. And um, I feel like God's calling us that, you know, he's, he's sounding the alarm. And there's somebody that needs to be rescued. Um, he can do it without you, but he wants to use you. You can't say, well... I'm not going to rescue this person because if I rescue that person, I'm going to get attached or we're going to create a bond. (laughs) You go and rescue. There are some kids that need to be rescued out of very uh, hard situations and very, um, you know, unsafe, you know, environments. It's too important. You, You can't talk about this and use strong enough language to explain these are children that Jesus died for and they need help. What a huge opportunity that we have, you know, as a as a church, as a body of believers that we can have on those kids that can change, you know, the trajectory of their future. I think for many people, if you really understand that these little children have already gone through so much and they need the love of Jesus. Opening your home to one to a child um, will change that child's life forever 
and yours. It's funny because I vividly remember when we got that call for the first uh, first little boy that we got the placement. Um, we were sitting, we were sitting right? at the pool and we were like talking again. This is before we had children. We were talking about like, oh, well, I think we're going to go make a Publix run and we get the phone call. Hi, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Lewis, your, your license just went through. Oh, great. Okay. By the way, <laughs> there's a child here that was just dropped off. Would you like to come pick him up? What? And I just remember being like, um, well, we were gonna go grocery shopping. Yeah, I had but, to cut the grass today. And, um, and sure. <laughs> and he's, ready, like, he's ready. He's like right ready right now. Right you now? want me to go? Yeah, right now he's ready. Like okay. as soon as your license goes through, there's such a need that they, there's kids waiting. They there, were ready. So you know? yeah, that was kind of wild. Like, You're like, okay, well, okay. forget the grocery store. We're gonna get in the car and go pick up a child. So we finished our foster parenting classes. Yeah. Um, and by doing that, we got um, then we got like some assistance as far as. Uh, behavior therapist, um, different things like that for him. And then we were officially foster parents. I could remember when Daniel came that first day, I was like, you know, concerned how he would feel and I wanted him to feel safe and welcomed and loved. Number one question. So the number one question we get a lot, whether it's from a coworker or friends or family, oh, I can never do that. I could never do that. You guys, you guys are How do you not breed. get attached? Oh, right? my gosh. How, my heart would break. Yeah, I'm not signing up for heartbreak. No thanks. It's, it's kind of like a, a funny question because like, oh, how, how can you not have your heart broken? You can't. The answer is you can't. Your heart's going to break, so their heart won't. And that is the line that it still gets to me. It's definitely a calling, and if God calls you um, to it, he'll make it pretty clear and he'll, he'll move your heart. FAM uh, actually is, it stands for Family Advocacy Ministry, and it's a partnership with four kids. We are able to provide weekly meals for the family, um, you know, odd jobs around the house. 50% uh, will continue to foster uh, after the first year, but 90% continue once, when they are a part of a fam, uh, you know, they, of a care community. So if somebody can come alongside and just like, hey, I, I can't have a child in my home, but I can definitely, you know, support you. Just so many ways to extend a helping hand. Um, and being a foster parent is just one of the many roles that need to be filled. I would say, first step, go to the classes. They're really informative. They're gonna give you all the scenarios. You're gonna meet other foster parents. Um, if, you're even, if you even feel God tugging at your heart, go to the classes. It's an opportunity to, to be God's hands and feet, you know? Here at West Pines, is Mathetates, we are rescue to rescue. So it's kind of like, to me, it's our charge. But you know, you're doing it to help them. You know, you're doing it to save a life. You know, and if you save one life in this earth, praise God. So we've got a rescue mission. And the question is just, do we have the courage to jump? Some of you, I want to challenge you, just take a courageous step of finding out more information. That's it. And you just write foster parent on this card. 
Some of you say, I want more information about how do I support foster parents? Uh, you know, what's the time commitment? What does that look like? Does that work? Just write FAM on that card. Take a minute. Do that, and then you'll just put that in one of the offering boxes, or maybe you put that in one of the baskets and, uh, as you leave, and just take that step. You know, Margaret Hastings, that woman who was uh, saved out of, that, out of the jungle, um, she was asked years later in an interview, man, weren't you scared? And she said something really interesting. She said, when you're in that moment, just fear's a luxury you just can't afford to have. You just can't be afraid. Just to do what needs to be done. My prayer is that God looks down and he finds us as a church. He finds us ready to take that step, whatever it means, to bring justice and righteousness to this city. That we'd express that we understand that we've been rescued to rescue. And we'd express that by loving the vulnerable. There should be no one that has a greater passion, greater calling, greater sense of drive to reach out and rescue than those of us who've been rescued for eternity. Church, let's lead the way. I want to take a second and just pray over you. Would you all just bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we just surrender to you. We just offer our, ourselves to you and say, Lord, we don't want to have hardened hearts. Lord, we do not want to have in our hearts that mindset that just turns away from the need. We want to have the mindset of Christ that we go to the need. We've been rescued to rescue. Lord, I ask that you would stir us up, not just pull our heartstrings today, Lord, but I pray that you would stir us, Lord, that we would respond, that you just put a calling on our lives, that you would call out people from our church that are able to respond. Lord, I just pray over those who are here today that would say, look, I, I feel so far from God. I just pray for those in our midst today that feel like, like I don't even know that I am a child of God that they would hear that there's an open invitation. You have adopted them in to your family by the work of Jesus, by the blood of Christ, that they would hear that and they would respond to that invitation to be adopted into the family of God. I pray for them. Draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.